You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Tuesday, September the 12th, and it looks as though the heat wave has come to a bit of a stuttering stop here in TW11. A little bit overcast this morning, a bit of drizzle as well. And it's not set exactly fair across Town Moor, Doncaster for the next week with plenty of rain around, which could impact on the final British classic of the season. The Bet Fred St. Ledger, which takes place this Saturday. Much interest in the fixture, which begins on Wednesday. Lee Mottishead is with me this morning. Lee, this is going to be potentially a big weekend for the headline writers. Just tell us why. Well, I mean, the, the main reason, Nick, is the fact that we have a very realistic prospect of the King and Queen winning the what will be the first Royal Classic since 1977, when Dunfermline won the St. Ledger for the Queen, who wasn't uh, on that occasion in attendance at Doncaster. For 46 years on, we now have the potential for a Royal winner in the Ledger with Desert Hero. Um, Frank Dottori will be riding in his final British Classic as well on the favourite Gregory. So I think, Nick, we have got the ingredients for a classic that could make significant headlines and beyond our parish too. William Haggis is the man who trains Desert Hero. He's a, a, a friend of this podcast, but we haven't caught up with him for a little while. Indeed, not since Desert Hero produced a sparkling performance to win the Gordon Stakes at Glorious Goodwood back at the beginning of August. So I began by asking uh, William Haggis how uh, the Royal Runner had been doing in the interim. Yeah, he's doing very well physically, Nick. He's, um, yeah, I'm very pleased with him. He's doing very well and did a bit of his last bit of work this morning, which seemed to go well. As long as he trots up well tonight, then uh, it's all systems go. I, I realise that, you know, horses can make fools of you nine times out of ten, but... Every so often, you look like a genius. And to be fair, you did say on this podcast in about February, I'm going to win that. Well, you didn't say I'm going to win. I'm aiming him at the King George V at Ascot. And indeed, it all came brilliantly to fruition. At that point, had you thought much beyond that as to what sort of horse he was going to be? No, but he he never, I think I've been saying this for a while now, he never thrived at all in the spring, in the, win, in the winter, in the spring. So we always liked him as a two-year-old, um, but he's developing now, and that's the pleasing bit. And really, um, I don't know where it'll end. He's got himself up to a pretty good level, but he's going to need to step forward again if he's going to win the ledger. I thought at Goodwood, he he looked quite fast, or looked faster than he had done previously. Uh, but after the, after that, you said to me, "I've I've got absolutely no doubt about him staying the ledger trip." Do you do you remain as confident? Well, I guess as we get nearer the race, I probably won't, <laughs> um, because that's nature. But um, you know, I, I think he's got every chance. He's starting to relax well. He relaxed very well at Goodwood, uh, albeit there were only six runners. But he'll, you know, he's um, he's got a chance of getting it. But he, he hopefully won't be hitting the front four furlongs out anyway. And clearly, everybody knows that this runner is going to have significantly more attention than, than any ordinary runner 
in the St. Ledger because of the ownership. Have you been able to to carry on fairly unhindered by that, or is it is it something that puts extra pressure on? Oh, so far, it's been very straightforward. It's um, like any other race. We have a few uh, runners for the King and Queen this week at Doncaster, so I'm sure they'll attract a bit of attention too. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's for us, it's just normal. We've got lots to worry about and lots to think about uh, all every day, all day. So, uh, you know, obviously it's uh, very exciting for us to have a chance in a classic we don't get many of those um and the fact that it's uh, the king and the queen is even better but uh, that's what we're paid to do so we're trying to deliver and it, it, you as you say you've got a, a whole a whole slew of entries for for the royal family this week hard to resist i see is in the uh, may hill stakes is, is she gonna run yeah i think she is um we i had a long talk to john yesterday about it I've been very happy with her. I think she wants to go up to a mile. Um, she ran a good race, finished well at Goodwood. I think the horse that beat her, Darnation, will be favourite, and uh, and rightly so. And I think there are a lot of unexposed, uh, lightly raced horses in the race, and she's got a bit of experience now. So, uh, Group Two race, why not? What have we got to lose? And the, the the nicely named King's Ginger, I see, is a newcomer by. By Kingman from a from an Australian family, is, is she got some ability? Yeah, she has a bit. Yeah, she has. She's really done well in the last month. Um, she really has come forward. So I, I'm hoping she'll run a nice race. So she's she's in on Friday. Have you ever had King's Ginger? It's delicious. No, you're going to tell me all about it now. It's a sort of liqueur. It's very nice, uh, sort of in the slow gin type of stuff. So not but, um, not like ginger wine then, no. Um, no, not right. Not really. It's a very nice warmer uh, on a cold day if you're outside. Okay. Not that I have it when I'm training, but uh, occasionally um, I we'll have it uh, elsewhere. But it's very good. So I hope she runs well. I'd, ima- I'd imagine some of your your forebears in Newmarket might have might have had a snifter while they were well at first lot. It's, it's all it's all changed now. Yeah. It's all changed now. I don't see people slugging drinks at uh, nine o'clock in the morning on the heath these days. Well, she's she's well she's well named by Kingman out of sweet idea in the royal colours. She's in on Friday one fifteen. Um, an educator in the Mallard. I, I've been trying to work educator out. Have you worked him out yet? Uh, all of us have too. Uh, a very talented horse. I don't think he'll run in that. I think it'll be a bit good for him. And he wants top of the ground underneath. So I think they've had quite a lot of rain. I think it's on the soft side now today. It's not sure that'll dry up enough for him. Um, so, uh, yeah, he'll be going elsewhere. Now, I have to do my usual and ask you about, oh dear, sense of duty and mal, and mal June. I, I, it's, it, it, it's getting very Samuel Beckett like this, waiting for mal June, uh, the, new, the new play out in theatres near you sometime this year. <laughs> if you're frustrated, Nick, you can imagine what we're like. Anyway, we're making headway. He went to... Chelmsford yesterday he worked fine but he didn't work brilliantly but he's not a flash worker and uh, he had a good blow after and Tom uh, kindly rode him and said he felt a bit uh, rusty so I was planning to go to the Sandown next week for the fortune stakes and uh, that's now been shelved and I think he'll go for the Joel stakes at the end of the month all being well 
Good. I can't wait to see him. Uh, Sense of Duty still in the still in the champion sprint. Can you get her in somewhere before then? Yeah, I can. Uh, I see. So she um, is a possible for the five furlong group three at Newbury uh, the week after next. Uh, that's that's a real possible mm-hmm. for her. It's a bit short for her, but I need to get a run and give me enough time to run on Champions Day. So. Uh, it has to be in September sometime, and the opportunities are few and far between. The Bengoff at Ascot is, I think, the 5th or 6th of October, and that's too close. That's only two weeks before, so that's no good. And Relief Rally, how is she getting on, the pocket rocket? Great. Mm. She's terrific. Works on Thursday, and she is going to run in the Chewley Park. Grand. And are you th- Lake Forest in the Middle Park. Yeah, Lake, Lake Forest hasn't maybe had as many column inches as she had, but I mean, he was quite quite good in the gym, Greg. That was a big step forward. It was pretty good. I'll be interested in Johannes Brahms, who uh, he beat in the gym, crack, uh, is in at Donkster in the Champagne and also in the Weatherby's race. So I'll be interested to see how he gets on. If he gets rolled over, then that might put... Uh, uh, well, let's put it this way. If he wins, that might excite us for the middle park. All right, that was William Haggis. Lee Motter said, what struck you most there? And we heard quite a lot about quite a few horses. I think William sounds genuinely upbeat about the prospects of Desert Hero. I think he's enjoying this particular journey. I don't like using the, the J word, but I think he's enjoying this journey of having a royal classic candidate. And I think he fancies the horse. Um, we sat down, didn't we, during Glorious Goodwood um, the day after the Gordon Stakes. And I said then that I thought Desert Hero uh, would win the St. Ledger. I'd already backed him at that point for the race. And I remain pretty bullish about his prospects. Um, I, I think he has serious claims. He's yeah. the one who, for me, is is riding the most upward trajectory his improvement from one race to the next is noticeable there's potential for more improvement over the the added distance and i just think he's a horse who as william outlined didn't come to himself in the spring at all he was a late developer this year and as such i think there's lots more to come from him and of course what's helped you i suppose if you want to keep backing him is that the great vulture stakes at york threw up to Meaningful challenges, really, because Gregory went off too fast, but kept rolling in the manner of a horse you thought would improve for the extra distance. And continuous produced a very impressive performance, even though he was helped by the run of the race. So you've got the twin pronged attack from that rather propping your price up, if you like. I thought you'd be a lot shorter now, Desert Hero, than than you were at, at Goodwood. Yeah, ditto, Nick. You can still get 11 to 2, which it seems to me um, is a, an absolutely fair price. In fact, I think it's a very generous price i i wonder if there will be a move for him over the the coming days i see no reason why there shouldn't be a move for him over the coming days as well not least because you know um william referenced that point this morning um about the ground now if we do get uh ground on the soft side it, it will actually help a, a few of the, the horse in the race but it certainly won't bother desert hero who won on soft ground at goodwood and i just wonder nick as well it's it's a really interesting, intriguing St. Ledger, but I'm not convinced it's the best quality St. Ledger um, that we've seen 
in recent years. The well, rain. I don't, I don't we... know, Lee. I don't know. You see, are you, I pretty, think, are you pretty okay? I on. think this horse. I think the horse that we've just been speaking about and Gregory. I think these are two proper horses that are just that are just coming and uh, they can run. They've both proven they can run very fast times at Ascot in very hot competition when only their careers are just beginning. They've both run really well since I, I they're, they're in excellent hands to keep moving forward. It wouldn't at all surprise me if this was another ledger, a bit like the one when Capri beat Stradivarius and all the other good ones, Crystal Ocean. Uh, yeah, I think this yeah. is another one of those races. Well, um, I hope you're right. And especially yeah, I hope you're all, right. the, all the Aidens, Continuous and Tara London. And yeah, these, these are good horses. Gosden's got three in there. I, I think this could be a proper race. Well, I hope you're right, Nick. Um, and as I, I certainly, as I, as I said before, I'm repeating on this pod, I, I have the very highest uh, admiration and aspirations for Desert Hero. Let's not forget he's one of um the the melbourne cup entrance as well going on from from doncaster um i guess if you're looking at the the race um from a a neutral objective standpoint you might say it's a tad disappointing that there are only nine horses left in the contest and only trained by by four yards so we've got aiden o'brien william haggis the gosdens and the chrisfords represented but that rain that william referenced and it's good to soft soft in places as we talk at Doncaster with the potential for more rain through today, that I think could prop up the field. Looking at it earlier on this morning, I was thinking that we might end up in a situation um, that brought the field down to maybe six horses, not since 2005, uh, the Scorpion year, had we had six runners. But I was thinking if we don't get the rain, we'll arrest turn up Aiden might only run two of his four potentially um but I think with the rain arrests almost certainly will run and it will be very interesting who rides that horse to um if, if Aiden if Aiden ran two of his four we'd have seven if he runs three of his four we'll have eight mm. that, so, was a, that was a miserable year the scorpion year I remember working that brief period when racing UK covered Doncaster an absolute monsoon Start hot huddling under a little tent. John Gosden had the runner-up. Uh, John Gosden. John Dunlop had the runner-up or the third, didn't he? A, a Hamdan horse. Well, the, 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 actually, I remember it for 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 two reasons, Nick. In, in particular, that ledger. Um, and John Dunlop had the third Torquette. Uh, thank you, thank Hills. you. That's why I remember because I that... walked up to John Dunlop. James Willoughby and I were working together for Racing UK. And John Dunlop was there, you know, completely dapper in his rain mac and his trilby chewing his um nicorette or whatever and said and and said um yeah i think we'll look for a nice confidence booster next time so we sort of said well what a nice little listed race or something and he looked sort of pityingly and said there are group two and group three races in the calendar as well you know and that was it that was the end of the interview he uh he also had the fourth that year well do you remember kong Finished fourth in the race under Richard yeah. Hughes. The, the, the two races I remember that that year in particular. This this this, this is turning into a bit like um, Desert Island Disc with with old, with old anecdotes. Um, I as you know, Nick, I have always been a massive David Ellsworth um, fan and longed to see him win a British Classic. And that oh, year I was geezer. all over the geezer, the, the geezer. geezer, the geezer, and the geezer almost won the race he finished second to the quirky scorpion but the other thing of course that was notable about that year was that frankie was riding scorpion for coolmore he uh then 
ended up going on Simon Mayo's program on BBC Radio 5 Live and in effect apologising to Godolphin on air for riding Scorpion for Coolmore in the St. Ledger. I bet that didn't make Simon Mayo's memoirs. No, Talking I, of- suspe- I suspect he's had um, more uh, easier interviews for his sort of um, in areas of interest. Fra- Frankie Dottori, we know we know what the deal is now. Um, we've spoken about it enough. But he has got a little bit of catching up to do with his great friend and American counterpart, Mike Smith, who is uh, 58 years old. It was 58 in August. And uh, on the weekend, rode the winner of the debutante stakes at Del Mar, who I mentioned briefly in dispatches yesterday, a filly called Tamara, who's out of the brilliant Breeders' Cup champion Beholder and brilliant Pacific Classic winner Beholder as well. And she looks to have it quite a bit of that talent judged on her victory at the weekend. So I put in a call to Mike Smith. Again, I completely fouled up the the time difference because I was working at minus five hours after the Kia Jurabchin interview <laughs> yesterday. And of course, then figured out that he was on the West Coast. So I got him out of bed at six o'clock as well. But obliging as ever, this is what he had to say about the filly he rode at the weekend. You know, man, I've been blessed to have been on a lot of really, really, really good horses, but as far as two year olds go, man, she might be the she might be the most impressive one that I've that I've been on. I mean, it was just incredible what she did the other day. It, 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 not only the way she, I mean, just the, the way she did it. You know, she runs seven eighths of a mile and, and, and one twenty two, and and well, well within herself. Uh, you know, so I mean, the, the sky's the limit with her right now. I mean, it's just incredible. She's matter of fact, the, the boys ran uh, yesterday, uh, and she ran. About two links faster than the boys did. Uh, I'm incredibly struck by that. I, I don't want to keep banging on about how long you've been around, but you you have been riding top level horses now across several decades. For you to to say something like that is is pretty amazing. So tell me how she feels. Give me give me give a give a non rider a rider's perspective of what she does that other horses can't. You know, it's, it, her her balance. I mean, she just gets over the ground so easy. It just comes so easy for her. She just skips over it like it's nothing. It's crazy. It's hard to explain, but I mean, you could probably put a glass of water on her back and, and she wouldn't spill a drop. You know, that that's how that's how easy she goes and how fluid she goes. Uh, it's just a, a, it's kind, of, kind of mind-blowing. I, I try not to, I have to, bite my tongue you know to, to try not to get too excited about her i gotta let her let her kind of show us but she makes it hard to do because she she does things like that uh it's, it's just uh, again it, it's uh it's pretty mind-blowing you wrote her damn i think just the once didn't you beholder in the in the zenyatta stakes so you you once yes yeah uh, and i mean it's, it's the obvious question but is it quite evident that they are related are there some kind of physical characteristics that are similar if you if you look at their pictures they look <laughs> they almost look identical you know it's it's really it's really crazy she looks so much like her mother i mean a whole lot uh the good thing about her is she was much kinder than her mom her mom was a, was a, was a bit was a bit of a handful uh this philly she's just very very kind and, and and she's got a good head on her shoulders on top of of the ability that she has which which makes her even better and for you personally, Mike, getting on a filly like her, getting also on a another horse of Richard Mandela's, Go Rocket Ride, who's 
right up there among the best three-year-olds in the in the country at the moment. How how important is that for you right now? I was I was going to say the autumn of your career, but I'm not going to because frankly, uh, you might go on a whole load longer. <laughs> no, it, it really is. I mean, about you know three months ago, I, I had nothing for the Breeders' Cup, and, and now I'm blessed to have you know two horses that that have a, a tremendous shot at, at 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 winning. Actually, you know, they're 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 very very good. So. Right now, it, uh, to have two horses like this at this point in my career is just—it's—it's uh, it's amazing. Um, I'm sure you've been since he was out in California at the win- in the winter. I'm sure you've been following the Frankie Dottori story, a great old pal of yours, still riding Group One winner after Group One winner in Europe and all, all across the world. Have you given him any advice as to how long he should and should or should or shouldn't carry on for? Yeah, don't stop. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, why would you? I mean, if you know, people say, you know, when are you going to retire? I, I, we, I am retired. I mean, this is what, what, what a life that, that I'm blessed to be living right now. Just getting the opportunity to, you, know, you don't have to ride, you know, six, seven, eight, nine every day. You know, just, just get the chance to ride. I mean, just these two horses alone. I mean, that, that's that's pretty amazing. So if I was him, I'd just keep going for a little bit. Mike, I appreciate the time uh, that you've uh, you've taken for us this morning. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you, Nick. Mike Smith, there. I mean, I love that, Lee. I- I'm retired. I'm still riding. <laughs> That's a great way of looking at it, isn't it? Like being on the seniors' golf tour or something. It really is, and I think Nick, it's all about attitude. If I just go and start on a, on, a, on a tangent, I was I attended uh, the 100th birthday party um, of a good friend on sunday uh, and um her attitude to life ada 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 carrot wonderful lady her attitude to life has been unfailingly positive always glass half full and you sense there's a lot of that about mike smith as well he seems like that sort of guy um and his attitude to the job and the way he approaches the job now very selective doing it because he loves it and talking in a way that makes it clear that he still loves it that's what's keeping him going but also as you can see on horses like go rocket ride and tamara albeit he didn't have to do a lot on on tamara at delmar such was her brilliance it but it shows that he is still more than capable of doing the job um guys like um uh, mandela would not be using him just out of um affection at that level you use the jockey that you believe can produce the best performance on your horse and i suspect that mike smith will go to santronita and the breeders cup with with those two live shots at success and why not keep going until um you're 60. lee yesterday's edition featuring the interview with kia jurabchen that uh, succeeded Kevin Stott's piece with you, where he he confirmed that that he'd been fired effectively, has probably garnered more attention than just about anything we've done in the last couple of years. I'd say on here, um, people are uh, fascinated by sp- splits between trainers and jockeys, and owners and jockeys, and owners and trainers. I, 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 I did anyone think this was a massive surprise? I I don't think I did, given the given the background. Yeah, um, I'd, I'd probably agree with that, Nick. And I'd also agree 
with um, your um, reporting of the interest that you have experienced via the, the pod on the story. Obviously, these days, you can see how many people are reading stories digitally. Um, and I can confirm that this story yesterday had enormous interest. I don't think, as you say, Nick, it was necessarily the biggest surprise, certainly not to anyone who was at Leopardstown on Saturday. I wasn't, but I I heard uh, reports uh, from people who had been in and around uh, the the paddock following the race and who had seen uh, clear signs that Keir Jarabjian was not delighted with what had happened with with King of Steel in the Irish champion stakes. Um, I, I think it wasn't a necessarily a surprise that this this happened because we know the extent to which Keir Jarabjian has moved horses around different trainers in the past and although he 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 protested on 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 that sort of point when you had that fascinating discussion yesterday I think he he does fairly or unfairly have a reputation um in that regard I think the thing I I took from it was that I thought Kevin Stott was was hard done by. I think he's had um, basically an excellent year in his first year in the job. I remember interviewing him at Windsor pretty much just as he took the job going into the, the season. He had very high hopes and I don't think his share price has fallen during that time. Um, I do think just reflecting on on the the manner of the dismissal and things that were said by Keir Drabchin, yesterday as i wrote in in the racing post um i think it's a bit crummy to sack someone by text in an early morning text message um no matter who the employer or the employee i think to dismiss somebody by text message no matter how warm and friendly the text message is is a bit unpleasant and a bit uh, should be beneath people i think um and i thought as well nick Kia's comments uh, to you and then to us in the Racing Post indicating that there might be more to this than meets the eye and that there might be matters outside of race course performance that could be involved. I think that is unfortunate because it leads people to speculate and it leads people to go down paths where there is almost certainly nothing to be found. So I didn't think that was a particularly gracious approach to take. Um, and I think just picking up on a point that David Yates made yesterday, again, however much Keir Jarabchin protested to you, Nick, about his reputation and his approach to jockeys, I think it is realistic that if you are a jockey who is approached for a job for ammo in 2024, whilst there'll be lots of people keen to take it because it will be a lucrative uh, position in which you will ride very good horses I think people will now do it rightly or wrongly with their eyes wide open to what sort of job they perceive that to be and again that might be right or fair or unfair but I think that is how people will view it well an extraordinary amount of reaction to that interview if you haven't heard it just at the end of this episode it should just ping on to tomorrow on to yesterday so you, you'll be able to, to hear the sort of the first 14-15 minutes of yesterday um, as I said I was was grateful to him at the time for taking the call at, at four o'clock in the morning, however many thousand miles away, and it has uh, certainly prompted plenty of debate. 
Okay, it is National Racehorse Week. Every day this week we'll be focusing on the stories behind the horses that delight us every day. The man who created National Racehorse Week, although I'm sure he doesn't like to take all the credit, I will give him the lion's share of it, is Richard Phillips, uh, who is with me now. How's it all going, Richard? Not too badly at all, thank you, Nick. Not too badly at all. More people are getting involved. We're 160 venues this year. Yes, training yards are opening, but we've got some studs opening this year. We've got aftercare and rehoming centres. And we've got some 60 community engagement events, which is brilliant, including schools, care homes, youth groups, hospitals. Basically, 15,000 people or more have places to go and see places through the week and see how the racehorse is looked after brilliantly well. In fact, looked after how humans should be looked after. And I think once the general public see how races are looked after, they'll be thinking, well, why don't I have that life? Uh, that, that's a very interesting point, one I hadn't really considered, uh, the impact that this might have on, on how people think about caring for, e- for each other as well as for, for animals and thoroughbred horses. Absolutely. I think we should have a mirror. And when we look at ourselves in the mirror, do we have 24-hour care? Do we have private health? Do we have a private dentist? Do we have spa treatments? Do we have a massage therapist? Do we have a balanced diet? Do we have an exercise program? All these things will make us better people. Racehorses have. If the general public knew that racehorses had that sort of life, they'd realise that actually people would be better people for having the life of a racehorse. So um, I'm really looking forward to 15,000 people or more going to visit these events throughout the week and realising that the racehorses are careful brilliantly well. They do amazing things for humans and humans do amazing things for racehorses. If people are only just waking up to National Racehorse Week and we've got four or five days left of this and they want to go somewhere, they want to see something, they want to go to a yard, where is the kind of one-stop shop where they can look for everything? nationalracehorseweek.uk is the place uh, brilliantly sponsored by the Peter O'Sullivan Trust this website will tell you what's going on this week will tell you all about National Racehorse Week and there may be a few places left so please go online you put your postcode in they'll tell you places near you where you could be able to actually go and visit either a training yard a rehoming centre or a stud that will give you an insight into the wonderful world of racehorses Fantastic Richard thanks so much No problem Cheers Nick all right, it is Tuesday, which means it's the day that we go around the bloodstock world with our friends at Weatherbees and their stallion book, their excellent global stallion app. I'm going to take you to one of the most beautiful farms, I would say, in, in the world now. It's among a handful of France's oldest thoroughbred farms, and it's called Arras de Saint-Père. You'll be familiar with the, the colours that are currently race for this operation, the white with the chevron and the, the orange cap. And Arras de Saint-Père is now in the custody of Andreas Putsch, who joins me. Uh, Andreas, perhaps perhaps before we talk a little bit about Samper, we should talk a little bit about, about you and your own passion for, for thoroughbred breeding and, and racing and, and where it all came from. came from uh, growing up in the German countryside with horses. Uh, we, had, we had riding horses, uh, mostly short jumpers, and, um, and um, so I, I grew up with them. I had... Uh, I bred my I bred my first fall when I was eight years old, you know, and that's how I fell in love with breeding, and um, that's that's what stayed, you know. And uh, I consider myself today a breeder more than anything else. Uh, and um, when when the time was right, I always loved racing. My my grandmother lived in Baden Baden, so um, I visited every year for the uh, for the Große Prize and the sales. You know, we witnessed. Um, Old Freddy Leisten auctioning off horses, yearlings under a tent, 
and uh, that was already very exciting to me when I was just a teenager. So uh, it stayed. And then in '96, I made the uh, the move to Dorobreds first in uh, in Florida, and then when I moved um, to Europe uh, uh, two years later, I continued breeding Dorobreds, but I didn't have my own farm, so I was a Eleveur uh, Santerre, like we used to say in France, and um, Ara de Saint-Père happened in 2007. I bought it in 2007. And Ara de Saint-Père has got a, an amazing history going back 150 years now, has had five ARC winners either bred or raised at, at Saint-Père. How conscious of you are you of, of the, the legacy, of the history, of the context? Very conscious. I mean, I, I was um, when I bought it. I set out, you know, to bring it back to the old glory, and, uh, and that was always the the aim. And um, um, you know, it had uh, um, it had uh, uh, let's say let's say many owners over the years. It's still it's one of the oldest still operating thoroughbred stud farms in France. So, but obviously, you know, the um, the, the the early owners were much more illustrious than the later owners, and. Um, um, but I told myself, look, you know, if, if all these good horses have been raised here, it must be it must be a good farm. There, there are farms, there's land where you can never raise good horses, no matter what you do. And even if the uh, if the analysis of the soil tell you otherwise, you know, so so I was pretty confident that it's possible. And um, being being German and uh, and uh, obsessed with detail, you know, it was was a long way, a long work. And uh, slowly, slowly, we're getting there. <laughs> You, you, you're being somewhat, somewhat self-deprecating because there's a there's a huge element of of flair to how you've gone about restoring this as as well. I, you look at the the, the photographs; it, it it really is a a beauty. Um, how big an undertaking is it, just on a practical level, to get it back looking how you want to get it looking? Well, it's 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 the adventure of my life which means i really um dedicated most of my time to it and today it's 100 percent of my time and uh it is um it's difficult to explain you know it, it's obviously it's about the horses but it's also about creating an environment for 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 people and uh, i'm i'm in, uh, very high on ecology also for other species you know everything is uh run to the highest um, ecological levels and, uh, and um, I've, I've witnessed how, how nature in this place you know grew and prospered around me you know and that was that was probably the most satisfying so you feel and this is particularly important now that you feel running a a fairly commercial and historic thoroughbred farm with a lot of horses a lot of movement a lot of transport that can sit comfortably cheek by jowl with creating something that's responsible and sustainable and, and ecologically sound you feel that that can that can be done obviously yes yes and i can i can tell everybody who owns a farm how to do it uh it's um it's it's actually quite simple you know you just have to have to work with nature you know and stop working against nature that's it's a very very simple principle and uh, and I think it's even in in our times it's the, it's the responsibility you know of everybody who owns large amounts of land you know to um, to um, um, get his or her head around it and, and start acting you know I mean I mean there, there are little things that can make huge differences and it's it's crazy. Um, t- just give me an example of something small that could can really turn turn that sort of thing inside out. 
Well, I mean, you know, you obviously need need no uh, pesticides, you know. Most most land gets also around with with no fertilizer, you know, maybe for a few, with the exception of a few natural ingredients, you know, and uh, and uh, everybody tells you, well, that won't that won't work, you know, that won't go, and I can tell you, it's exactly the opposite, you know, your your grass gets better, your soil gets healthier, you know, and your for you, you you get more grass. You know, it's a it's as simple as that. You now it's it's a few techniques and. Uh, you know, you can add. We we from the beginning we produced our own compost. You know that um, that is amazing. You know, and it goes back on the paddocks. And um, it's just uh, it's just you can see it when you come to the farm. There's a certain lushness about it that uh, everybody mm-hmm. realizes right away. And I'm sure it was that lush during the 1920s and 30s when Samper had five art winners raised there, as I said, and you the way you open your your website as well comrade czar Kantar, and samos and it you say it's your biggest dream to make it six and, and and counting i'm very interested in your philosophy as to how you breed horses now which has slightly changed over the years just explain why you now look first for performance rather necessarily than a big back pedigree well it's um you know i mean i mean Again, I'm only, I'm only, um, um, I'm only guessing. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this now since, since. If you take the warm bloods into consideration, I was breeding all my life. You know, and I can still tell you that I'm only guessing. You know, I know nothing. Uh, uh, like all of us, I'm playing chess with nature, and uh, every every tenth match, nature is kind enough to let me win. You know, so that's that's about that's about how I see it. You know, and uh, so I, do, I don't have the uh, the the silver bullet for it all but I, I came to read that um that book from joe estes i don't even remember the title you know where he uh, clearly you know statistically proved you know um that that those um those well-performed mares you know on the racetrack you know on average you know give you a higher higher probability you know to produce a good horse you know it's just it's just a game of probability and uh, I study, I study all the pedigrees of all the great winners. You know, plenty of them also who come out of unraised mares, even unplaced mares, which is probably worse. You know, and uh, and um, so you know, it's it's only it's only. I feel that that because I'm a boutique breeder with a relatively uh, a small broodmare band. You know, and uh, if you don't have the luxury of having hundreds of horses, then you should be very selective uh, to make it work. And how well is it working at the moment? Just give me an example of uh, of how your success has has grown through the through the racecourse and the sale ring. Well, I would say our 2016 to 19 crops, we are about at 25 percent black type horses to folds. You know, so that is the you know in in within the European standards, that's pretty high. And I would say I would say that's that's uh, um, you know, I'm very, I'm very, very happy with that. You know, that's that's as high as it can get. Where where I'm not happy, you know, what the one thing we need is that that big breakout horse. We had plenty. We had two Group One winners that we bred in some pair in that period. Many Group One horses, you know, that managed to place but not um, not win, and uh, loads of black type, you know. But um, the, I'm, I'm missing the next Xar, you know. That is that is on the, but. Who knows? It might, he might already be among the folds or the yellings. You you made quite a few interesting comments about stallion books and the size of stallion books. Uh, are you worried that if you want to send your your mare to a good stallion, there are simply too many other people doing the same thing? 
Yeah, that's that's of course that's a worry. You know, I think um, 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 you know we, we we work a lot on the on the, on the stats. You know, on the, on the distribution where the money goes. You know, I'm, I'm uh, working very closely with Jocelyn Mowbray on that, and um, it is very clear. You know that um, it is getting difficult, more difficult. You know, for for commercial breeders and uh, to um, uh, to make it work. You know, the sales the sales has become a difficult game. Um, lots of horses on the market, big selection for selection opportunities for buyers, you know, and uh, the vets don't make it any easier. And uh, and then if you see, you know, the, the, the stallion fees and how many mares are covered, you know, that is that is a concern. That it's, it's the obviously the um, the the owners of the commercial stallions with, with the large books, you know, who, are, who earn most right now in this game. Uh, and I'd be very interested to know how you look on on French racing and breeding at the moment because looking in from the outside it appears that we might be on the verge of a significant renaissance given how many of the group one and and top prizes have stayed at home in France this year how many interesting contenders there are from France for example for this year's arc compared to to recent years is this a mirage or is this a reality well I I mean the last two years, you know, we were all in, in France, we were all scratching our heads, you know, why is it that whenever the English horses come over for our group races, you know, they beat us, you know, so and everybody was, was saying, oh, you know, we have, a, we have a big problem in French breeding, you know, there's not enough good horses, not enough good talents, blah, 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 you know, and uh, I don't think that's really it, you know, I mean, I mean, it's still, we're still dealing with, um, with, uh, with a, a phenomenon, you know, that we cannot explain, you know, and, uh, and uh, it goes one one year it goes this way, one year it goes the other way. I had a very very interesting conversation with Luca Kumani, you know, asking him what he thinks, you know, and he said, "Well, um, where are your and talking about France, where are your best yearlings being sold?" You know, and I said, "Well, obviously in Arcana and August." And he said, "Well, and who buys them? You know, do the French buy them?" And I said, "No, they mostly go overseas or, or to England or to Ireland." You know, and he says, "Well, there's your answer." Um, you know, um, I think I think um, it's a problem of French owners. You know, the French owners have a have it have it very easy compared to uh, to UK or Ireland, and uh, and they have a they have you know with with all the prize money that's available for the bad races, for the handicaps and the claimers. You know, and uh, um, there's not much incentive uh, for a French owner to really. Uh, invest a lot of money in a racehorse and, or in a potential racehorse. Well, and Akana has become Akana has become an international market. It's very obvious, and uh, the, the 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 material this year was fantastic. I mean, there were there were good yearlings left, right, and centre, you know, and, uh, and not many of them stayed in France. Period. Uh, Andreas, if as we as we end where we began, if there is to be a sixth arc winner at Saint Pierre, and uh, that. Art winner happens to be on the ground now, either as a as a foal or or a yearling or maybe a two year old. You know, I'm I'm more I'm more it's I, I more hope it's a jockey club winner. You know. Okay. It's a, if you look at the arc, the arc is a, is a, is obviously a very prestigious race, you know. But uh, I'm a breeder, you know. And I, I look at races, you know, for their for their significance for producing stallions, and they're obviously the pretty jockey club is probably the top race in Europe today. So where where's the jockey club winner? Do you have do you have him? I, I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. <laughs> <And> <laughs> no. 
if you do, who's it, who's it, who's it likely to be? You, you must have your eye on a on a foal at the moment. No, no, that, that's you know. You see, I've, 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 I'm always wrong in that, you know. And everybody is, you know. You you can look look at your crop, and you like certain, and you don't like others. And uh, uh, the best the best beispiel is um, is Pearls Galore, you know, Pearls Galore. Um, I mean, we, we just bring, didn't bring her to the sale because we, we thought nobody would bid on her. You know, she was not a very commercial-looking individual, and um, and uh, I had no hopes for her. Absolutely not. I had other, I had other very good calls uh, that um, that were not not sellable just in terms of confirmation. Turned to be out very sound, very good racehorses. So I don't know. There was a client coming to me to the sale and said, "Do you have a good horse in your in your draft?" I said, "Yes." He said, "Which one is it?" I said, "I have no idea." <laughs> <laughs> um, I ho- I hope that however however many times you concede that you might be wrong. Uh, that you are you are right a few times more over the next few years. Certainly, that twenty five percent strike rate of black type horses to foals produced uh, is testament to something more than 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 blind luck. Andreas, thank you so much for talking to me. It's been most interesting. Big pleasure. Thank you to you, Nick. Thank you. My thanks to Andreas to all my guests today. Lee Mottershead is still with me. He has something for you for whenever he likes, really. Well, well, Nick, you know I'm going to say Desert Desert Hero in the St. Ledger on Saturday, but I will also um, go go a little bit um, more timely um, and look at racing at Leicester today. We had a bit of luck with the tip uh, last week at Brighton, and that was thanks to trainer Tony Carroll, and I'm going in the same direction again today, Nick. He runs um, a juvenile autumn rose in the 250 at Leicester. She's a filly who was initially trained by Donica O'Brien. Switched to uh, Tony after one run. I thought was a pleasing performance at Chester last time. She's progressing and I think she'll win the nursery at Leicester 250. So number five, autumn rose for Tom Markland and Tony Carroll. Lee, thanks so much. Thank you very much for listening. That was Tuesday, September the 12th. See you again tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.